Welcome to Movie Maniacs. Mike Rags and Chuck Curry discussing the greatest movies of all time and all the new films in theaters and streaming that you need to know about. Like us, rate us, share us. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Rags and Chuck Curry. Okay, folks, welcome to our weekly podcast of Movie Maniacs. Uh, I'm Chuck Curry, your host, alongside normally Mike Rags, but Mike Rags is still on some sort of hiatus. I don't know where he is to be found, but eventually I think he will be back for at least cameo appearances. uh, Along as my co-host, once again, is Kenny B. How are you doing, Kenny B? I am doing great. Actually, we have him locked in the uh, basement I, I got Kathy Bates to help me with it. <laughs> Don't let him out for at least an hour so we could do this in a seamless, smoothless transition. So are you ready for the Christmas season, Ken? I'm, I was born ready. Okay. So, uh, so for the listening audience, we have a Christmas-themed full episode. We're going to do our top 10 Christmas movies, and we're going to do our top 10 characters in Christmas movies, and then we're going to start off the show by reminiscing on some of the stuff we watched in our childhood that was Christmas-related, non sort of non-movies, more television. Uh, I'm going to start. I'm going to start, and uh, I think my fondest memory when I was a kid would probably be looking forward to watching the annual CBS airing of Frosty the Snowman, which was originally produced uh, in 1960, uh, 1969. For me, one of the greatest 25 minutes of any medium, animation, live, whatever you want to call it, this was animated, obviously, but a simply gift from the heavens, 25 minutes of Frosty the Snowman. Uh, Jimmy Durante was narrated Jack Vernon was the voice of Frosty. What a perfect, perfect voice, Ken. I love me some Frosty the Snowman. Yeah, Jack, Jackie Vernon was great for that because he had that, well, it almost is, that voice as if he was almost half asleep. Yeah, but I gotta tell you, I always remember watching that when I was a kid. Every time Frosty melted, like my heart broke, and and then when he came when he when he came back to, to, to life, it was very uh, exhilarating. But uh, I love that. Uh, I also I'm gonna ask you what what do you remember before I bounce into a few of my others? Well, one thing you'll probably you know say this guy is crazy, but. I always remember I've every, said that before, but uh, proceed. I know. I looked forward every year to Norelco doing the Floating Heads commercial with Santa Claus coming down the slope on top of a Norelco razor. Yeah, I remember that. That was a pretty, uh, pretty good one. I mean, obviously, uh, um, Charlie Brown Christmas, which is the true do, which which originated back in 1965, so a long time ago. But that was the true definition of something very simple but yet effective and yet resonated. Uh, and that aired on CBS forever up until a few years ago when streaming started to take hold. And I, I think now I try to look it up on stream. I think you have to actually buy it for like nine nine ninety nine. What a shame. I mean, go back to CBS. Another one would be How the Grinch Stole Christmas, uh, Boris Karloff as the voice of, of the Grinch. In my opinion, like Frosty, a perfect piece of 25-minute animation in terms of storytelling, uh, effectiveness, power. I loved that. I loved that. Uh, that was also great television growing up. So you had Frosty the Snowman, uh, Charlie Brown Christmas, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Uh, two others, a little bit, uh, a little bit out of the box. But I got to tell you, there's a Twilight Zone episode called Night of the Meek uh, with Art Carney as a department store Santa. It was shot. 
not on film, not on the, when you watch it uh, and you could watch all the Twilight Zone episodes currently on Paramount Plus. If you have Paramount Plus, you can watch this episode. I think it's season, I think it's season two or three. And this is a powerful episode of the Twilight Zone. It's a little different than some Twilight Zone episodes because it gives you a sense of hope at the conclusion and the great narration, obviously, in the writing by Rod Sterling. But Art Carney was great as a department store Santa who found what the meaning of Christmas was, and that was to give. And uh, I, I still watch that uh, every year. You ever see that episode, Ken? I actually watched it for the first time last year. I have the entire series on DVD, and because of you mentioning it, I actually watched it. It is a great episode. Very good. And then I, I also, and I was a kid, this was a long, long time ago, but I remember an episode of Happy Days, and it was called Guess Who's coming for christmas it was episode 11 of season two original air date december 17 1974 when when uh, the fonzie character played by henry winkler says that he's going away for christmas but he's really not and winds up going to the cunninghams uh who he became obviously bonded with richie and that was really the heart of that show, one of the great uh, friendship relationships of any television show of all time, Fonzie and Richie. Uh, Tom Bosley is the father. Mister C was awesome in that uh, episode. That was a classic piece of television. Happy days. Guess who's coming for Christmas? Uh, really, Henry Winkler's Fonzie shined in that episode. You ever see that one? I did. I've, I think I've seen all of them. Uh, one, one, one that I can't, uh, I can't let go by is, of course, sure. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the claymation. Okay. Uh, That's I, a good one, too. I had a, uh, an, a cousin in marriage who was named Clarice after the, uh, the one, uh, the female reindeer. And also, oh. and when yeah. I was working, we, my tax department, uh, we gave out annually the Bumble Award. Or no, we went and gave out the Yukon Cornelius Award that every year went to the person who best exemplified Christmas. And even though I was the boss, I never won it. And I kept complaining about never winning it. And eventually, I actually won my own award, the Bumble Award. So, you know, people, people are keeping that one alive. I still have my stuffed Bumble somewhere. That, again, that was another institution uh, of, of must-see viewing back in the day. Still, people watch it. Now, here's one I just want to throw at you. I remember watching, I know I watch this on, on Thanksgiving, but I always watch this. It aired always on WPIX Channel 11 out of New York uh, at this time of the year. Uh, I don't know if it's how Christmas related, but it just aired during this time. That was March of the Wooden Soldiers with Laurel and Hardy back from 1934. Um, one of my all-time favorite childhood memories, watching that every year. I, I, I love that movie. Now, uh, here's a question for you. What movies, non-Christmas related, do you remember seeing the week between Christmas and New Year's? Because the week for the audience to know, the week between Christmas and New Year's is one of the most popular, or it used to be pre-COVID, of any movie-going season during the year. I mean, I remember many a time seeing five, six, seven movies the week between Christmas and, 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 and New Year's. And, you know, I, I, one that sticks out in my mind was 1991 uh, I probably saw Steven Spielberg's Hook. I know it's, it's a polarizing movie. I actually love Hook. I probably saw it three or four times in a movie theater. That one sticks out in uh, in my mind. But you go back to the you know to the to the to the seventies, like movies like The Towering Inferno released released uh, Christmas season 
in December. You know, that brings back uh, a really cool memory when I was a, a, a little boy. But uh, it's, it's so much fun, or it used to be at least pre-COVID, to go to the movies between Christmas and New Year's because there's so many uh, memorable genre movies along with some of the Oscar stuff, but so many big genre movies week between Christmas and New Year's. I, I, tell, you, I tell you a memory because you just triggered a memory in my mind. Christmas night, because a lot of people actually went to go to the movies on Christmas night because they sort of get bored during the day so they go do something at night Christmas night in 1990 I went with my brother John to the Avalon movie theater in Brooklyn New York to see we went to see Godfather part three and my reaction to it on the initial viewing is sort of my reaction to it now I actually really liked and I mean really liked the first half of that film a lot and uh, I loved everything with Andy Garcia in that movie uh, I think he's electric in that film one of the best things he's ever done but the second half of that movie sort of bogs down in uninteresting material between the the godfather and the and the and the mafia and the vatican i just it's just not that interesting but i still think that movie has merit uh, i do i would give it a recommendation i do like it's nowhere near one and two but it's it for me it is it is still good because it has a lot of uh, merit, but I remember seeing that movie on uh, Christmas night in uh, 1990. I also, so I, I, I think, I think I remember seeing Mars Attacks over Christmas. Okay, uh, Tim, uh, yeah, because that was 19, uh, that was 1996. Independence Day came out in the summer. Mars Attacks came out later in the year. Mars Attacks didn't gain the foothold of the box office, although it did marginally well, but not the massive hit of uh, Independence Day. Very quirky, but I, I think a fun movie with a really good uh, cast uh, directed by Tim Burton. So let's bounce into our, uh, we'll start with our top 10 favorite uh we'll do the christmas movies first because then the characters sort of will bounce off that and we'll do that list after we'll do our 10 through 6 and i'll have you start off with your favorite top uh 10 through 6 christmas films that you enjoy uh and would recommend to the audience all right i'm, I'm gonna start with the 1949 and this mm-hmm. one i first saw at the pocono cinema uh sandy i think uh, sponsored the revival of Holiday Affair from 1949. Oh, okay. The secret, the secret shopper gone wrong. Um, of course, it's got the two, the two women or the two guys fighting over one woman. So Robert Mitchum and Wendell Corey and Janet Lee is the woman. Um, it was a great movie. It's part of that formula we see over and over in Christmas movies of the Christmas romance that blossoms into something else. But a really great movie also will have a great performance that I'll mention later. Number nine, 2004, Ben Affleck, Christina Applegate, James Gandolfini, Catherine O'Hara, and Bill Macy as Duda. Basically a Hallmark movie meeting the big screen, and that was Surviving Christmas. Wow, okay, now you gotta remember, uh, again, movie going is subjective. Mm -hmm. This one really got hammered and beat up pretty badly when it came out by critics, and it really was a dud. At the box office, I've only seen this movie on cable, and I've always been a big fan of obviously James Gandolfini, who is uh, iconic in the uh, Sopranos. Actually, I was watching this uh, a few weeks ago as one of the cable stations. It means very watchable. Tell me, why do you like it? I, I like it because I, I like the I like Gandolfini's role. Uh-huh. I I really love Christina Applegate as an actress. 
Yeah, and, she's good. And Bill Macy as Duda, and then his replacement with a black Duda. But it's just it just has all the all the great elements, and of course, it's just your basic Christmas love story. But if you can watch Hallmark movies, you can watch Surviving Christmas. Okay, fair enough. What's your next one? Number eight is the reverse of my homeowners association because my HOA limits the number of items one can put out for Christmas. And that would be Tim Allen, Jamie Lee Curtis, Dan Aykroyd, M. Emmett Walsh, and, as a police officer, Cheech Marin, 2004 as well, Christmas with the Cranks. Ah, okay. Okay. Why do you like it? Tell me. Again, living in, in HOAs where people, you know, fight against decorating. I love, the, I, I love Dan Aykroyd's character that thinks it's almost un-American if you don't put up your snowman and do everything else you're supposed to do for Christmas. Some great humor in it, and um, and I like the I like the uh, I like the Tim Allen Dan Aykroyd chemistry in it. Okay, good pick. Uh, what's your next one? My next one, and you probably I we talked about it two years ago when we did this, and you probably haven't still haven't seen it. it probably maybe the most influential movie ever from a pop culture standpoint, and that is The Homecoming, A Christmas Story from 1971. Because it was Christmas Eve on Walton's Mountain. John Walton was away. John Boy goes out to find him in a storm. Of course, this morphed into a television phenomenon of the Waltons. Uh, Patrice Neal was Olivia. Richard Thomas was indeed still John Boy. Edgar Bergen played Grandpa. Ellen Corby, one of the TV cast, was Grandma. And William Winden played uh, Charlie Sneed. Andrew Duggan was John Walton. Most of the kids were actually the same as in the um, the TV series, but it gave rise. It was basically the the pilot, even though it was actually a movie released in theaters and then shown on television. Basically, the pilot for the Waltons. I did not know that. I did, I did not know that. I mean, obviously, the Waltons was a huge uh, cultural phenomenon uh, when it originally aired in the nineteen seventies. Big, big hit. Okay. When you're next? And my next one, uh, you would have probably just seen it last Saturday night. That'd be Bill Murray as Frank Cross, Karen Allen as Claire Phillips, David Johansson as the ghost of Christmas past, Carol Kane as the ghost of Christmas present, Mary Lou Retton as Mary Lou Retton, and that is Scrooge from 19, 1988. I think one of the best spoof movies that you'll ever see at Christmas. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll talk about that more in a minute because it's uh, higher on my list, but I did do a revival of it last Saturday night at the Pocono Cinema. We had about 35 people come out, which I thought was a solid crowd. They're very into it and had a really good time in the pre, uh, pre-introduction uh, part of, of, of the film. And actually, I did for, for fun before Scrooge. We attached a couple, uh, three or four classic uh, Christmas trailers. One was... Uh, Christmas Vacation, the other, I actually attached that with Scissorhands to it, and uh, and the third was uh, A Miracle on 34th Street, the remake trailer to it. We didn't have enough time to, to attach Die Hard, but that was a little bit of a bummer, but uh, it was a really good time, and uh, I'll talk about that more in a uh, minute. So you've done now your 10 through 6. My- do my 10 through 6. My number 10, I'm going to go back again to a childhood memory. I'm going to go with uh, Scrooge from 1970, the musical version with Albert Finney. I remember my mother taking me when I was a little boy. I watched this movie numerous times on television, and I always, always loved the the, the song and dance number. Uh, 
when he's watching his own funeral. Thank you very much. Albert Finney is very quirky in this movie as uh, as 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 uh, Scrooge, but it has a really nice payoff, which the story does. I think is very entertaining for the most part. Albert Finney uh, did a good job with the song and dance numbers, as did the entire cast. Uh, 1970 Scrooge with Albert Finney is my number ten. My my number nine. I went with Miracle on 34th Street. Now, both versions, because I actually like them both equally. One was 1947 with Edwin Gwynn as Chris Kringle, who believes, and if you watch the film, is Santa Claus. And the 1994 version of Richard Attenborough, who is John Hammond in Jurassic Park, as Chris Kringle, Santa. I like both these versions. Uh, the little girl in the original was Natalie Wood. Little girl in the remake. Mira Wilson of Miss Dowfire fame. I think the movie has strong emotional power. It was a big memory when I was a kid. The reason the remake, which came out in 94, really failed to uh, materialize is it opened up against uh, other comp- other competition, and uh, it just never took flight. So uh, Miracle on 34th Street, both versions, 47, 94, my number nine. There, now, there, was, there was also a version of that with Sebastian Cabot as uh, Chris Kringle. That, was that a TV version? Yes. Yeah, probably. And he was from uh, Family Affair. Family right? Affair, yes. Family Affair, yeah. So number eight for me would be a movie we talked about a little bit last week, Family Man from 2000, Nicolas Cage, Tia Leone. This movie was directed by Brett Ratner. And when it came out, I remember seeing it, and I said, ah, I like it, but I don't love it. And I thought it was sort of disposable. But over time, like a lot of Christmas movies do, it has grown on me immensely. It's a little bit, it's a wonderful life in story, a little bit, a Christmas carol. But Nicolas Cage is at his quirky best in this movie. And Tia Leone has never been more appealing. And the chemistry is quite good. The ending is a little bit bit botched. Uh, The movie ultimately winds up bitter, sweet. But ultimately, a man who goes in a different direction in life, could have married his his college sweetheart, decides not to do it, becomes a sort of a self-absorbed, rich playboy, and then then, uh, by by a guardian angel, makes him see his life as if he went in the other direction, wakes up, and is married to Tia Leone's character, his college sweetheart, and now they have two children, uh, it's a really good movie with some really good moments. I wish the end was a little bit more satisfying, but overall, this one has grown on me a lot. So Family Man from 2000, my number eight. Number seven, White Christmas movie that I, I never saw, Ken, I got to be honest, until like six, seven years ago. And then I did a screening at the Pocono Cinema on the big screen. And this movie was shot in Technicolor, so it's a beautiful movie to look at. Bing Crosby, Danny Kaye, there's chemistry, their pairing is awesome. Very emotional. It's bookended at Christmas, beginning and end. But the reason this movie works so well is because they're giving. And, and that whole end sequence, when they give back to their uh, to, to, to their uh, uh, military head in charge, very powerful. Uh, it's a very entertaining m- movie with some terrific musical uh, talent. Uh, obviously, Bing Crosby, Danny Kaye, two of the brightest stars of that decade. So White Christmas, 1954, my number seven. Now, number six, going against the green here. And I'm going to say Gremlins from 1984 because this one has a Christmas feel written all over it, except it's 
a little darker than most Christmas movies, but it's wildly entertaining. Makes you feel this time of year perfectly. Joe Dante, one of the most inventive directors uh, working at the time in the industry. I love the pairing and the, the chemistry between Zach Galligan and, and, and Phoebe Cates. Gizmo, uh, who I'll talk about later on our next list, but great movie character. Gremlins is my number six. Any thoughts on those picks? Well, I, I actually had uh, at number 12, I had your uh, same as you with the family man, which until the ending is actually the basic formula of a Hallmark movie. Guy, guy goes back to his ex-girlfriend, you know, that, that kind of stuff. I, I like that. I'm, they're, they're, they're all, but they are all very good movies. I have to, I can't disagree with any of them. Of course, I'm not a big White Christmas fan because I think you can either be White Christmas or a different movie, but uh, also a, a, a good movie. Okay, so now for a five through one, we're going to go one at a time. You're number five. My number five, well, it was on your list. Uh, and it, I go with the 1947 version of Miracle on 34th Street. I would add that William Frawley plays a great character as Charlie O'Halloran in, in the movie, you know, the political boss kind of figure, oh, right. uh, which which actually helps make, make it pretty good. Uh, my favorite scene in that movie is... Because I love when lawyers, you know, can uh, can use logic. Sure when when the the lawyer gets up there and says, "Hey, you know, the the U.S. Post Office, if they delivered something, you wouldn't say they delivered it to the wrong person." And then they come in with all the mail that's uh, that's there for uh, for Santa Claus. So that's my number five miracle on uh, Thirty Fourth Street, and of course with uh, young Natalie Wood. Very good, and yeah, you could argue as a lawyer that any argument, if you believe it, can be represented correct that is correct and that was the theme of uh that great movie my number five i did go with uh, scrooge from 1988 with bill murray as i stated to the audience when i screened it the interesting part about this movie and i, I didn't realize it till i started to do a little bit of research but bill murray after ghostbusters in 1984 which was a massive hit and he also did a movie that same year which is called razor's edge which is a little bit more serious fair and you can see the initial uh, underpinnings of bill murray trying to be more of a serious actor that movie didn't do well at the box office but got him good critical notice he was so overwhelmed by that year of 84 he took four years off to do his next movie and that was scrooged and it was produced on a budget of like $32 million. It feels overproduced. It actually looks a little bit overproduced with the set design. And the screenwriters had said that out of 100% of the original script, only 40% of that script was actually used in the final product because director Richard Donner had an interesting take on the comedic elements of the movie. And Bill Murray, in the whole last 15 or 20 minutes of that film, when he realizes uh, that he needs to be a better man, a lot of that, or most of it, is all ad-lib stuff. And that's what makes that movie, to me, uh, so special. That stuff at the end is just simply iconic and awesome. And that's Bill Murray is his most inventive, uh, manic best. And when he when they shot that scene, when Richard Donner said cut, the two screenwriters who were on set actually went over to Richard Donner and said, "I think Bill Murray's having a mental breakdown," which is a really interesting interpretation because he is manic. But he is wildly comedically inventive. And uh, Bob Kite Goldwith, uh, I think, is really cool. Uh, it adds a lot to that movie. But all the cameos, like Lee Majors, who actually was handpicked by director Donner, he called up, he said, hey, 
we want you to do a cameo in this movie. That's a really good cameo. Having Buddy Hackett in the movie and Robert Mitchum, uh, that really was cool. And, and Carol Kane is awesome as one of the ghosts in that, in that movie. Bill Murray had his three brothers have parts in that film. Uh, I think like a fine wine, Scrooge is aged better and better and better over the uh, decades. So my number five is uh, Richard Donner's Scrooge with uh, Bill Murray. Good choice, good choice. My number four, Home Alone, 1990. We've talked about that in the in the past. I think we talked about it last week about the performance by a uh, or two weeks ago by the perform the performance by Macaulay Culkin as a young actor. Uh, just a great movie. I know you prefer Home Alone too. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. They're a little high on the list. I'm gonna explain where I put one and uh, one and two. But Ed, what are your memories? Did you first of all did you see Home Alone in a movie theater? I did not. I was actually this interesting story. Tried to see it in a movie theater, but apparently a a, um, a movie that was rated for 13 year olds in England. You couldn't take your children, even if they were with you. So we really? were un- we were unable to see it. We tried to see it the Christmas of 1990 in Plymouth, and we never got to see it. So I didn't see it till I came back to the states. Okay, uh, good pick, and I'm gonna expand on that a little bit more. My number four, I went with Love Actually because, and I just watched this movie again recently. To me, this is a really unique, different breed of a film. Uh, it makes you feel like a million bucks. At the end, it has a really good Christmas feel to it, but it's also, it's also, it mixes tone in terms of sort of like a family-friendly material, the Liam Neeson and his, and his kids stuff, to some really hard-edged stuff with the, two, the, the, the couple meeting on a, on a, on a porn set. Um, so it's not for children, but this movie is a great movie, in my opinion, with a terrific cast. Uh, its scripting is very real in a lot of ways uh, in terms of the relationships and a lot of different ones that come together and merge. And that scene with the kid running through the airport at the end really brings it all home i love the cast i love the concept i love the characters i love the way they intertwine actually one of the great intertwining uh screenplays of characters merging uh all together uh you uh, grant uh, i think is awesome in this film highly entertaining very thought-provoking and uh a really terrific script uh it makes you feel good love actually my number four that was actually my number seven and i lost i couldn't fi- see it on my list so i had to add another one before thing i had only that i skipped number seven so okay, it should so have been we'll there give, we'll give you a 10 yeah. we'll give you a 10.5 list yeah, because I, I actually go through and i list the movies that might mm-hmm. that might be on the list and then i go back and rank them and i messed up when i went back and looked at my numbers my number three my jewish friends hate this because it gave away their <laughs> secret that they always had that the one place you could go eat on Christmas Day was a Chinese restaurant. My kids, as a result, would sing fa ra 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 every Christmas and head out for Chinese food. We're devastated this year. My Chinese restaurant is only doing takeout on Christmas. Really? Really? On Christmas? Okay. I don't think they can get the the help uh, for table service. But of course... That is a Christmas story, which you can see running 24 hours a day on AMC when it comes time or whatever. TBS and TNT. Do you like that idea of 24-hour none? I mean, I understand why they're doing it, because uh, they don't feel like doing a lot of programming. And people, you know, will watch that movie uh, ad nauseum 
at Christmas time. I'm sort of mixed on running movies 24 hours in a row, though. But it's 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 not on my top ten. But it's a very good Christmas film, no doubt. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of having anything on 24 hours unless it's a 24 hour. Uh, marathon of Family Guy. I'll sit down and I'll watch that. Fair enough. My number three, uh, is it a Christmas movie? Is it not? Of course it's a Christmas movie. Die Hard from 1988. You know, there's always a pop-up ad on Facebook, Ken, uh, all the time at this time of year, and it says, it's not Christmas until Hans Gruber falls out of the Nakatomi building. I I would agree. But I got to tell you, this movie, well, one, didn't come out at Christmas time, but it does have a Christmas theme because it takes place on Christmas Eve. But I first saw this movie in in 1988 uh, at the King's Plaza. I think I went to see the the four o'clock show and I walk in, didn't know what to expect, was a huge fan of the Towering Inferno, and I later found out that the screenwriter came up with the concept of this, the, of the original novel, which was Nothing Lasts Forever, was sitting in a movie theater watching the Towering Inferno. And when I watched Die Hard halfway through, and I've told the story to Mike, it's one of the few films that I've seen in a theater in my lifetime, where when I watch it for the first viewing, halfway through, I said, this movie is a classic, and I knew it would be, and you don't get that feeling a lot, because a lot of times you have to, you know you're watching something good and you're really enjoying it. My one barometer of movie greatness has always been, does my adrenaline flow as this movie goes on? Meaning it all comes together and it has a very special culminating feeling of, okay, this is it. This is something really good. These directors, screenwriter, actors have achieved something that has made an impact on my um, emotional state. And Die Hard was one of those films that was just a perfect movie that I consider a masterpiece. Takes place at Christmas Eve, has a Christmas feel, and uh, watch it every Christmas season. So number three, Die Hard from uh, 1988. I'm a big fan of Die Hard 2 also, which takes place at uh, Christmas Eve. So Die Hard, my number three. Uh, My number two is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, 1989. Chevy Chase, of course, Beverly D'Angelo, Johnny Galecki, who went on, of course, to Big Bang Theory, Juliette Lewis. Yeah. Randy Cray, Randy Quaid, just a just a great movie, one that I watched. So that's my number two. You know, I, I wonder about Randy Quaid. Was that when he did that movie? Was that before or after where he needed to seek out psychiatric uh, help? But what an interesting talent, uh, Randy, Randy Quaid. Hard to believe he's Dennis Quaid's brother. I mean, Dennis Quaid seems fairly stable emotionally. Randy Quaid, not so much. Not on my top ten, but I do enjoy it. As I said on this program, and I've always told Mike, I am not the biggest fan of Chevy Chase, but I gotta say he has done some movies that I have liked this would be one of them number two for me I really can't choose so I put him I put two and one Home Alone I'll talk about two here's the interesting thing Home Alone 2 basically is Home Alone 1 except they put it in a different setting the emotional power of the first film which is a scene that was written and shot after the final product was almost in the can which would be Kevin McAllister played by Macaulay Culkin meeting up with the old man at the church who is his next door neighbor who he has a preconceived notion of who he might be and that scene in the church gives that movie its emotional resonance so then he goes to battle the wet bandits uh that part is just the, the fun 
uh, of the culmination of the movie. Now, Home Alone 2 does the same thing with an actress named Brenda, uh, Brenda Frazier, who I believe won an Oscar, was nominated for an Oscar the year before. And her character takes place, that scene with him, and she's a pigeon lady in Central Park. But what Home Alone 2 has that's really good is it has a tremendous, beside Pesci and Daniel Stern coming back as a wet bandits, the supporting cast at the Trump Trump Plaza, Rob Schneider and and, and what's it, Tim Curry, uh, so good in those supporting roles. And, and Macaulay Culkin, there's certain child actors that for whatever reason, and it is really no explanation how you write it on paper other than he had an intangible that few child actors had, a handful had in, in, you know, in the last hundred years. He had a connection with the audience that was undescribable. And he had an intelligence as a child playing that role that was just incredible. And he makes those movies wildly entertaining uh, because he just holds his own against the adults in a very, very, very believable way. So I put Home Alone 2 and 1 as my number two because I like them both uh, interchangeably, uh, as we should say. Okay, well, my number one, we all know what that is, 1942, Holiday Inn, the movie that gave us White Christmas, it gave us Easter Parade, it gave us Be Careful, It's My Heart. Great movie, great music, much like Meet Me in St. Louis. It runs the entire year, but its climax is Christmas. How many people you think went to the movies? This I would have to believe in that period, people were packing the houses for those movies. No, I would have to think so during the war. Yes, uh, my number one, hands down, I do believe. Not only is is it one of the greatest films of all time, it's not maybe the greatest, uh, but the, it's certainly for me the staple of this season. It's a Wonderful Life from nineteen forty six with George Bailey. Be, be, uh, being the definitive character in any uh, Christmas movie. And, uh, I mean, it has so many themes that, that make people reflect. And we just did our annual It's a Wonderful Life dinner and a movie at the Pocono Cinema. Now, this year, It's a Wonderful Life is a phantom event, so it's playing all around the country. But when you pull in, I mean, this year we can, we had about, we had 100 people. Now, normally we've had about two, 250, but due to, changing theater patterns and uh the fact that the price of dinner did go up due to a crazy inflation rate we had a hundred i spoke to the audience before which is always uh an absolute pleasure to do uh but this movie you know when it is a reflection of yourself because the idea of seeing your life if you never were born uh, with the people that you interchanged and touched and moved and connected with and changed, uh, I, I think this is a tremendous, thought-provoking uh, story. But the one thing this movie got right is the casting of Jimmy Stewart, who is just perfect as George Bailey, an emotional powerhouse, to say the least. And I said this to the audience, and I said this to Mike on the show before. The reason this movie, for me, and millions of others, resonates so well, and is the definitive movie at this time of year, is because Frank Capra had the spine to go dark, real dark, especially in the 40s, and with the, with the Bailey character. And when you go that dark and you come out into the light, the emotional power of it is simply uh, staggering. And if you watch this in a movie theater with a hundred people, you could feel that catholicism at the end when they walk out. It really does drain them emotionally. So hands down for me, uh, it's a wonderful life. Number one today and uh, will always be. 
Let me add, Chuck, one one movie that was on my list that didn't make the top 16, but it's from 2019. I know a lot of people have not seen it. It's Last Christmas with Amelia Clark, Emma Thompson, and it's inspired by this the song, and I like the movie because I didn't see the ending coming, even though it's in the first line of the song. It is. Here's the thing. I know some people who really dig this movie. I went to see this movie uh, when it came out with my wife and daughter. This, for me, this is what you call, in my opinion, an interesting misfire. I like her. I like some of the numbers and some of the individual scenes. Certainly when she sings that song, I think it's a lot of fun. But it just doesn't all come together the way it should. And that twist um, it left me a little bit cold. But she's really good in that movie and it does have some good scenes and it has a lot of merit i just think as a whole um it's not as good as it needed to be but uh very interesting pick actually that's 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 fair all right well those were great movies so very good i i always i always i always find it interesting going through the memory bank of, of, of doing these top 10 lists. Now we're going to do two because this is a full-blown Christmas show on WoWo and our weekly podcast of Movie Maniacs. We're going to do a quickly a top 10 list of our favorite characters in Christmas movies. I'm going to start. I'm going to go 10 through 6 uh, and then you're going to do yours. My number 10 favorite character in a Christmas movie, I'll go with Ralphie, played by Peter Billingsley in, uh, a, in, a, in a Christmas story. Uh, the one thing this movie got right is his casting because he is just perfectly cast in this film alongside a lot of good actors, including Darren, Darren McGavin, who plays his father. Number nine, I went with the character of um, Billy Mack, the aging rock star played by Bill Nigley in Love. Actually, he is a blast. He's a lot of the juice for this movie, a lot of the comic relief. He's always been a good actor, and he's perfectly cast as this character, Billy Mack, in Love. Actually, number eight, I went with the character of uh, of Willie Stokes, played by Billy Bob Thornton in the movie Bad Santa. People, you know, obviously this is hard R. It's certainly edgy, and edgy would be an understatement, but it also has a little bit of an emotional resonance that makes this movie work. I think Billy Bob Thornton, one of the terrific actors of our generation, getting, sinking his teeth into really interesting material. Not all Christmas movies have to be pure as snow, to be Christmas classic and the character of Bad Santa in Bad Santa is a really good one. So that's my number eight. My number seven, uh, I went with uh, Clarence the Age, the Angel, and It's a Wonderful Life, played by Henry Travers, who actually was 72 years old, Ken, when he did this movie. I didn't realize he had a last name. I saw that in the credits. Clarence Olderboy. Uh, I did not know he had a last name, but he pops up on screen actually in the last act of this movie, although you hear his voiceover in the very beginning, he had so much to this movie, he could not have been cast better. And my number six, relax, here we go. I'm gonna go with Edward Scissorhands, played by Johnny Depp in Tim Burton's Edward Scissorhands, a very uh, iconic character in my opinion, and maybe Tim Burton's best film. It takes place at Christmas time, the whole last act is Christmas setting. I think when he's uh, when he's doing that, uh, the ice, uh, the, the ice sculpture with his scissor hands, I think that's beautifully done and gives a great winter Christmas feel. Very emotionally powerful, this character. Again, this is another movie that goes from light to dark, and that gives it its emotional resonance. So, number six, Christmas characters 
big word, scissor hands. So we only have one overlap of the, so far okay. of your first five. Guess which one it would have been. It were scissor hands. No. Uh, Bill, uh, Billy, Bill Nighy as Billy Mack is my number eight. In fact, oh, okay. I, I play. Oh, I do it the one you didn't have. Okay, yeah, I get okay. it. Okay. I, I play on my uh, on my uh, oldie show. I always play uh, Christmas is all around us after Love is all around us, the Trog song. But I I love his character because it's about the person who's totally cynical about Christmas, doesn't give a darn, make makes fun of the idea of the of England having a you know a number one Christmas a number one song every Christmas, and he ends up winning because he's one of those people who doesn't want to win but ends up winning. You know, doesn't give a darn, yes. but it's, so it's good. My number 10, it's a double one. Yeah. Uh, it's okay. Wal- Walter Abel as Danny Reed, Louise Beavers as Mamie in Holiday Inn. They help make the movie. Walter Abel is the typical amoral um, agent who only cares about making money and getting his uh, people booked. Mamie, even though people have problems with her because of stereotyping black people, she is the strongest character in that movie. She's the one who interjects some some common sense into Jim Hardy, the uh, Bing Crosby role, and I think it's I think it's a great performance. They're my my tie for number ten. Number nine, Eddie Murphy, Billy Ray Valentine, Trading Places, nineteen eighty three. That's a good pick. Good pick. I like that it's, one. It, I'm not a big Eddie Murray Murphy fan. I did like Eddie Murray, but he played for the Orioles. I'm not a big Eddie yeah. Murphy. He was a good hitter. Too. Yeah, yeah. Not a big Eddie Murphy fan, but I thought I loved that movie. Ackroyd was the was the perfect uh, uh, counterfoil to him. It was a great movie. Of course, number and this eight. Movie, and that movie, that movie, if I remember right, which I do, this movie came out during the Christmas season and uh, was a really big uh, hit. Yep. It, absolutely. Um, of course, number eight was Bill Nighy. Number seven. Bill Macy as Duda in Surviving Christmas. I just love that character. Okay. You know, I love the idea of you know, hiring yourself a relative. Everybody should do that. N- number six, were, were you a more of a Sherman Potter or a Henry Blake fan in MASH? Uh, in MASH. Mm, I got to give that. I, I, honestly, I have to give that some thought. Okay, well, I'm, I'm a big, uh, I'm a big uh, uh, Colonel Potter fan. He, he he did this role under the name Henry Morgan, which he had to change because there already was a Henry Morgan in the Union. Of course, the guy who was with uh, on to, I've Got a Secret, but um, Harry Morgan in Holiday Affair. He's on the screen for four or five minutes. Plays a police lieutenant trying to work out what had happened in the park between Robert Mitchum and this uh, other person and a stolen salt and pepper shaker set and feeding seals and homeless squirrels and i gotta tell you the movie is worth it for just those five minutes if you haven't watched it lately i turned it on the other day just to make sure it was as funny as i remembered that it was and it is probably the best short performance and just the the look on morgan's face at different points uh, when he's trying to work through this stupid story, it's just just a great scene and a great character. I like that actor uh, a lot. So that was my number six. Okay, we'll start with. Uh, I'll do my number five. It's it's John McClane, played by Bruce Willis in uh, Die Hard. The interesting part 
about his casting in that movie. I didn't really think much of Bruce Willis when I originally went to see Die Hard. I knew he did Moonlighting, which was a show at the time that I really did not watch. He did a movie with uh, James Garner called Sunset. I know at the time when the script came out and they were looking to cast that role, they were looking at a lot of different actors, Stallone and, and Schwarzenegger, and then they thought about Richard Gere and Nick Nolte. Clint Eastwood and ultimately most of them wound up passing and then Bruce Willis seized the opportunity they paid him five million dollars which is a ton of money uh, for a TV actor who was really only known for moonlighting but it was a home it was lightning in a bottle it was not a, a triple or a home run it was a grand slam he was perfect born to play that role maybe the greatest action hero of all time and I think the greatest action movie Christmas related so I, I'll go with John McClane in uh, Die Hard is my number five favorite character. All right. My number five, it's been imitated. He hasn't been duplicated. Chris Kringle is Edmund Gwen. I'm, I mean, he was just perfect for that role. I know people have done that role since then, but Miracle on 34th Street, 1947, Edmund, Gr- Ed- Edmund Gwen as Chris Kringle. Uh, very good pick. And I, my number four, I went with the two characters, Harvey and Marv, Harry and Marv, excuse me, played by Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern, and Home Alone, one and two. Here's the thing about these two guys. Uh, Joe Pesci's always going to bring everything he's got to the table, so that's a given. But I tell you, Daniel Stern uh, was an equal foil to Joe Pesci and equally is brilliant, brilliantly funny in these two movies. It was a great pairing uh i can't imagine two other actors doing it better so uh as good as macaulay culkin was and he's the juice of those movies you needed these two characters to make these movies remain classics and the reason they are classics is because these two characters are terrific in this movie uh they say it's caught to violence but it certainly they withstood a lot of uh uh, a lot of physical abuse, and actually Joe Pesci burnt himself uh, on, on, on the set of uh, Home Alone 2 doing some of these crazy, inventive, violent stunts. So uh, Harry and Marv, uh, the Wet Bandits from Home Alone 1 and 2, my number four, Ken. My number four, and I know you're not a big Chevy Chase fan. I have to go to the National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. I actually had Chevy Chase as my number 12, but my number four... The, the movie is that the movie doesn't rise and fall with Chevy Chase. The movie rises and falls with Cousin Eddie, Randy Quaid. Absolutely, absolutely great role. He is that movie. And, you know, everything he does in the movie is over the top. And I have to add one thing, too. I was looking up you know, the cast and all that. And the girl, the girl who plays the little waif, you know, his his daughter has actually grown up to be beautiful. I mean, it's amazing, but time as time goes on, but a, a great, great role, great, uh, great performance, uh, great ensemble cast, but he is the one who actually brings everything together. So Randy Quaid as Cousin Eddie. Good pick. I can't argue that one. My number three, uh, I went with uh, the character of Gizmo in the movie Gremlins, voiced by uh, actor Howie Mandel, uh, tell the audience something interesting about the original script of Gremlins. It was written by Chris Columbus, which is his first treatment for a script. Now, Chris Columbus went on to direct the first Harry Potter movie and Miss Doubtfire became a big name in the industry. But Spielberg read the script and they brought it to Amblin and they said, let's produce this movie. But in Chris Columbus' original script, the character of Gizmo turns into Stripe. 
And so the good gizmo is no longer good. Uh, he's, he's, he's striped. And Spielberg said, listen, we love your script, but the one change we have to make is that gizmo has to remain a f- good and a fan favorite because that's going to be the backbone of pulling in the family audience. And that was a brilliant decision. Uh, every time gizmo's on screen, the audience absolutely loved him. And even though gizmo is basically, uh, 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 a doll uh, that they used uh, uh, that was able to uh, move his eye movements uh, and his facial expression and the way they used the camera for close-ups. The audiences absolutely adored that character. So I put Gizmo, and I do too. I I think it was an awesome character in Gremlins. So Gizmo uh, is my number three. And it was a great choice for uh, merchandising as well. Because you're much, much, much more. If they would have went with the original script and Gizmo uh, becomes Stripe and there's no Gizmo, that movie's no way has the same effect or or the uh, the legacy that it uh, currently does. All right, my number three. See if you can see if you know the movie. My 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 number three is Robert Blossom as Old Man Marley. That would be. Oh, the Home Alone. That's his, that, right. People don't, not, a lot of people don't realize the old man has a last he's name. He's a great character. Because, because here you've got the person, the outcast, the people, person the people avoid. And when somebody needs a hero, who steps up but old man Marley? And it makes a change in his heart, too, because he reconnects with his uh, estranged family. So Yeah, and, and, and here's what's the thing. The church scene between him and Macaulay Culkin the dialogue is really good. Yes. Like it's a really good conversation between the, the, the older actor and the young, the young actor. And uh, both are incredibly good in that one sequence, which is really the reason that movie works so well, because that's the emotional heartbeat of everything that came before and everything that came after. They needed that scene. That, that scene is really good, and he's really good in that uh, role. Absolutely. My number two, I, I went with Kevin McAllister, played by Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone 1 and 2. I, this, is, this, this is something special about certain child stars who are at the right place, right time, right vehicle. And he was at the right place, right time, got the right vehicle. Um, I think previously he was in Uncle Buck, a John Hughes movie. So they knew that he had a, a screen presence and a likability, but... Boy, oh boy, did he hit a home run uh, in that movie. And, and Kevin McAllister will go down as one of the great characters in a Christmas movie from now until the uh, end of time. Ken. So my number two, Kevin McAllister. My number two, he's probably miscast in the role. He's probably 15 to 20 years too old. He's 17 years older than the woman playing his wife. And he's probably 50-some years older than his kids, which I know is, is possible. But anybody who's ever seen me do anything around the house, if I'm working around the house, I drop more F-bombs than anybody's, <laughs> than anybody's ever heard. I mean, you don't want to be around me if I'm putting furniture or anything together. Darren McGavin is the old man Parker, Mr. Fragile himself. Very good pick. He just plays, he is, you know, I, I hate when, when they show us fathers who are Robert Young and people like that. No. Parents are more like Al Bundy and Mr. Parker. Darren McGavin is just great in that role. I uh, I can't disagree. Listen, I've always been a Darren McGavin fan. I, I thought he was awesome in the TV show, The Night Stalker. Me and Mike talk about how much we liked him in Airport 
77. He had an uncameo, uh, an uncredited appearance in The Natural. Barry Levis is The Natural back in 1984. Really good talent. Uh, and it's that kind of performance that elevate movies to a higher level. And he's a big part of why that movie uh, has uh, tremendous success to this uh, day and is a huge fan favorite good pick my number one it's obvious it's george bailey played by jimmy stewart it's a wonderful life for many a reason um it's just a staple classic american character that's that stands for one thing he stands for decency he stands for kindness and he's the type of person that you'd want in your life so it's an easy pick for me it's, it's george bailey and it's a wonderful life you know, for me, it's an easy pick, too. You know, we know about a character whose heart was 10 sizes too small, and then he hears Cindy Lou Who sing, and all of a sudden now his heart is bigger than everybody else. Well, that's Hollywood, folks. That is fairy tale. This man's heart was 10 sizes too small, and it got smaller as the movie went along. You know, in any other movie, in the end, he would have come forward. He would have said, oh, you know what? All you people keep the money you raised. You know what? I found your money. <laughs> You're being the, cynical. The, the number one character of all yeah. time, he might be the best movie villain of all time. I think he beats Darth Vader. It's right. Lionel Barrymore, Mr. Potter, and some wonderful life, because they didn't ruin the movie by having him redeemed at the end. Here's the thing, I, I, and that's a great pick. When I was watching this the other night, and I say this every time, he is so, his soul is so dark that when, when he takes that $8,000 at the bank from the, 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 the uh, who worked at the Bailey Savings Yeah, from, from the uncle, yeah. Yeah, the uncle, Uncle Billy. You cringe like it is hard to watch. Like that, 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 I don't want to say it's the equivalency of watching violence, but it's the emotional equivalency of watching emotional violence perpetrated against another person. And he, you, you are right. That is one of the greatest villains of all time. And he doesn't have a redemption, which is good the way to go. But that performance is uh, is quite uh, is, is, is just quite memorable. It's, it's, again, very interesting how our lists don't actually converge all that often. We converged a lot in movies, but not necessarily the characters in the movies. And we can't list everything. I know we didn't, I don't think we mentioned Elf, and I like Elf. Uh, I'm not the biggest Will Ferrell fan. It's funny, because like Will Ferrell and Chevy says, I'm not the biggest fan, but I know Elf is, is a good movie, and it's extremely popular, and there's a lot of extraneous ones. We didn't put any horror films on the list, like Silent Night, Deadly Night, uh, or Black Christmas. I know some people like that sort of genre, and they dig those movies but i think this was a lot of fun uh i wish uh before we wrap it up i just want to say i want to wish you ken very merry christmas i want to wish the audience a merry christmas thank you very much for listening a lot of bigger and better things going forward uh as we head into the year 2023 uh whoa whoa thank you very much for uh, airing the uh, program our weekly podcast which is movie maniacs and we're also heard on ken WXPM Cool 98.5, Phoenixville. Hey, Chuck, wonderful show. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you very much. And to the audience, God bless and take care. Thank you, Chuck. Thanks for listening to Movie Maniacs. Download one of our archived episodes. Be sure to subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts.
podcast by Federated Media. Mm-hmm.